Okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witch buster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. Yay. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Live from the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center on this Monday morning, which is a big red Monday, but it's also a Suns day because of what the Suns have been doing the last couple games and what they are looking to do tonight. I don't know what day it is anymore, but it is uh, it is Wolf and Luke. Wolf, what's going on over there? Um, not a whole lot, Luke. I was your one day vacation. <laughs> the va- vacation was great. Yeah, today is a Friday. When is a Monday? A Friday. Well, it is a Friday today. So somehow, some way, we shall persevere. Shall we not? So it's a Friday for you. I think it's a Tuesday for me. I don't. I don't know. Okay, this is, if if there were ever a week where nobody knows what day it is, and you know what, I don't even know what week the NFL season is. Sunday. Yes, it is Sunday. Okay, Sunday. Devin Booker. Sunday. When do we talk about Devin Booker? We're going to talk about Devin Booker uh, shortly. I believe. I want people to realize this. Even when we're not talking about Devin Booker, there are undertones of Devin Booker to the show. How's yes. that? Okay. Okay. Thank you. I if, appreciate. If, that. if the topics get a little like rough because they are so depressing right now. Now, just think Devin Booker. That's what I've been doing for five seconds to get back, to jolt myself back into a good mood about Arizona sports. Yes. The beat goes on, does it not, with my Big Red. And you know that I bleed Big Red. I do. It's just something that I'll never apologize for, ladies and gentlemen. I had my best years in the National Football League, of course, with the St. Louis Cardinals, then the Phoenix Cardinals, then the Arizona Cardinals. (laughs) All right? (laughs) I'm just seven years there. I I went to four pro. Bowls. I was a team captain six of the years that I was here. I bleed big red. And for this to be going on right now, it is it is a very, very difficult situation to talk about my cards. Can, can I, totally honest with you, watching the game yesterday... And, you know, we all have some some friends that are just hardcore. All they care about is the Cardinals tailgate every week that they're here. I have friends that tailgate when they're on the road still. They just do it. Um, so I feel bad for them. But, well, honestly, I feel like you're one of the people I feel the worst for because everything you just said, you played for the team before. You're that. You're that's just, I mean, you've actually and gone you out there me. on the field for the team. This is rough this year. This is as bad as it's been. As a matter of fact, having a conversation with a very good friend of mine, um, um, a guy that I've been around and with for a long, long time, and we both agree this is the most difficult season that um, we have ever engaged in, ever been around. And the reason why I say that, I think, is because of the expectation coming in to this yep, season. The expectation it. was so high. Oh, my goodness. It was, uh, at least it was in the Wolfley compound. It was so high. And um, to see it unfold the way that it is right now is discouraging, to I say the least. was trying to think of the worst seasons in sports I've ever covered. And for me, it was doing post-game shows when the Coyotes had their really, really bad year in 2015, going into that, that draft where you're figuring you're getting the top pick and Connor McDavid's out there. 2018 Cardinals, for sure. But the difference between the 2018 Cardinals and this year's team is exactly what you just said. There were no expectations for the 2018 Cardinals. New coach, new quarterback with Josh Rosen at that point. This year there were expectations. And yeah, some people had higher expectations than others did. But I think even the most pessimistic Cardinals fan, even the Cardinals fan that was nervous in the in the offseason saying, hey, why aren't we adding anybody? Why, why are we just sitting here while other teams add players? I think even those fans 
were were passionate about that because it's like, hey man, we might drop to like seven and ten or eight and nine and miss the playoffs if you don't go out and add an edge rusher or a corner. Yeah. Not four and ten. I mean, and with the very real possibility of four and thirteen. You know what's amazing about it is even right now, four and ten base and only I look back on the season and um I can only think of one thing and one thing only. And that is the offense and the meltdown of this offense. That is, uh, honestly, it is the one thing that I continue to go to immediately. When my mind thinks of the 2022 Arizona Cardinals, I go immediately to the offense. And the the fact that you came into this season and so many analysts believe this offense was going to be good. Were the Cardinals going to be good? That was up for debate. But the offense was going to be good, especially when D-Hop got back. And to see the offense melt down and struggle the way that they have um that to me is the most disappointing thing and that's where my mind goes when i say 2022 i think of kyla murray and the offense struggling yeah and i think on another level just aesthetically too you can if you're losing games 31 27 it's back and forth and hey we were up 10 nothing but then we were down 14 10 but then we came back that it's in some ways it's harder because you're like hey okay we should have won that game or you know it gets ripped away and it's more of an emotional roller coaster but the way these games have gotten this season where it's like the other team is 13 that's probably enough that that just sucks the life out of you for the season as a fan base because there is not a whole lot of excitement in the game yeah so it's still you could be 4 and 10 but these could be back and forth games, but they're not really even back and forth games right now. Yeah, and you know, yesterday again, the the beat goes on, does it not? Uh, another injury, another loss, and another week closer to the end of the season for the most part. Um, Kelvin, McCoy, Kelvin Beecham, though, fighting through it and still coming back. Oh, like, yeah, thought, you know was, what, The one guy that, I, that stays healthy, I was like, oh, they finally got Beach. No, they didn't. He came back. You know, just amazing. It really is. Um, Kelvin Beecham, the one guy. I, I Not the one guy. I've got a lot of respect for a lot of guys, but Well, I mean the one guy in the sense that the one offensive starter that's oh, still playing. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Uh, the one guy that has survived this entire season um, hasn't been injured, played in every game, and and yet this guy had every reason to say, you know what, that's it. I think I'm going to sit down over here on the bench. He didn't do that. Came back in that game. I got to tell you, man, the respect that I have for Beach, that's one guy I'm bringing back. Yeah, I want him back. Can I, can I just I, say yes. that right yeah, now? You can, if and I, I, I sign off on yeah, it. Whoever the general manager is going to be going forward for the Arizona Cardinals, whether it's going to be a combination of Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris, if, if, if that is going to be what it is, if Steve Keim is indeed done, um, it, whatever it may be going forward, the one thing I'm doing is bringing back 68. I am bringing back Calvin Beecham. Yeah, he also has the the sort of influence on some of these young offensive linemen that you're hoping you build around or, you know, whoever you draft. And we'll have plenty of time to get into draft stuff. I find myself looking at more and more mock drafts. You're in this weird spot now. If you're going to be picking top five, you may get like a legitimate game changer, but he's probably not going to be an offensive lineman. So I don't know. I, not something I thought that I'd be looking at in mid-December, Wolf. I really, I really thought... I really thought even if this team missed the playoffs this year, and look, at the start of the year, I thought seven seed. I thought probably going to be seven or eight, and I thought they would sneak in. And then, you know, you watch the first six games, and you're like, okay, there's some stuff that's got to get fixed here. But either way, I thought they would at least be 
still in the conversation, even if you're just in the conversation the way the Raiders are right now, where you're, yeah. okay, probably not going to make it, but you're still in the conversation. Uh, it is just, it is snowballed over and over and over again. And this is uh, Cliff Kingsbury yesterday after the game saying, sometimes you keep trying harder and it just keeps getting worse. Everybody's competitive, so um, we hate, you know, losing and, and uh, sometimes you're, you're trying harder and it seems to be getting worse and so that's never never easy but like I said uh, it's a great group great staff everybody stuck together and worked really hard to try and try and ride it we just have to find a way yeah you know what you just have to find a way you do you know what this is what tough guys do they actually walk through adversity they walk through it they take damage they do what they have to do they square the jaw they throw the shoulders back you walk through it you have to Because there is no option. There is no quit. There can't be any quit. You know, this is the one thing that I will say as the radio analyst for the Arizona Cardinals that I am proud. I haven't seen a lot of quit in this team all season long. I have not seen it, especially since it's gotten really, really bad. When it's gotten bad here over the last few weeks, um, you didn't see any quit in this team. The guys kept playing, and um, I'm not going to sit there and belittle it, belittle that effort by saying, boy, they're out there playing for Cliff Kingsbury. They're not They're not doing that, Basinonians. Hopefully, they're not. Hopefully, they're out there playing for themselves and for their own reputation and for who they are. Hopefully, that's what they're doing. They're out there playing for themselves because they're a grown man. And it matters to them, their performance, and how they play, and what they do. Hopefully that's it, and nothing else. We come back. Where exactly did it go wrong yesterday for the Cardinals against Denver? We're going to take you through the biggest plays of the game with Big Red Reacts next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Big Red Monday and Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports. Presented by Sanderson Ford. The best play is at Sanderson Ford. Just watching the replay of that end of that Patriots game here during the uh, break. <laughs> All I could think was, what is Bill Belichick going to say after this game? And then they, they asked him, and he didn't say much. Just amazing. There were some people actually saying that Bill may have told them to do that on the last play. And there's no way in the world that was a possibility, at least not in the Wolfley compound. Maybe it's the influence of working with you, but I, when I saw that play, all I could think was Bill Belichick's thinking, that is exactly what I would have told you not to do in a tied game, and that may cost the Patriots a playoff spot, too. That's the ultimate irony. We'll get into that later on in the show. Uh, back to the Cardinals, though. They fall to the Denver Broncos yesterday, now 4-10 and on the season. For those of you interested, and I know <laughs> quite a few of you are, they are right now in line to have the fourth pick in the NFL draft. Right now, it would go Houston 1, Chicago 2, Seattle 3, Cardinals 4. And of those three teams in front of them, Houston and Seattle probably both taking quarterbacks. So if you want a game-changing defensive player, there's a couple at the top of this draft. And right now, you're in position to get one of them. As far as the game yesterday... I was, I was laughing like at halftime, how are we going to do a Big Red Reacts? Because there's, there's no points being scored. But uh, there ultimately were 24-15 in the finals, so let's get you caught up on how we got to this point with Big Red Reacts. 
52-yard field goal try. Ten and a half to go in the first. No score. Brandon McManus, one of the Bronco captains, on for the long attempt. Booting left to right. Snap wasn't good. They get the ball down, though, and the kick has plenty of leg, and it's good. 45-yard field goal try by Prater to tie the game. Andy Lee to hold. Snap. Ball is down. The kick from Prater is on the way, and it's good. So Prater drills it. Back to throw Rippin. And the ball comes out as he's hit. It flutters, and MyJ Sanders has a hold of it. They're going to say it's a fumble recovered by Sanders. And it'll be Cardinal ball at midfield with 34 seconds to go in the half. I don't know what happened. Rippin just looked like he lost the ball. I think J.J. Watt, when J. Watt came around, knocked the ball out of his hand. That's what he did, David. J.J. Watt got the right hand on it. So will that go down as another sack? That goes down as another sack. That'll be three sacks in the first half. And now a forced fumble for Watt recovered by MyJ Sanders. Snap. Ball down. Prater's kick is on the way. It has plenty of leg, and the kick is good. He buries it from 50 yards out and gives the Cardinals a 6-3 lead at halftime. Takes the snap. Quarterback run to the right. McCoy puts his head down, dives, and has the first down. I think and Colt McCoy just landed flat on his back. Oh, no. Kelvin Beecham is down two. I think Colt may have collided with Beecham as he dove. And remember, Colt, last week they were looking at his head. 55-yard attempt for Prater, kicking right to left. Virtually no wind. Ball travels here in Denver. Snap. Hold. The kick is up. Plenty of leg, and the kick is good. Rippin takes the snap. Give to Mack. Running right. Mack stiff-arming and into the end zone for the touchdown. The game is tied. And a point after away from taking the lead here midway through the third. Snap to Rippin. Quick pitch. Running left is Murray to the five and dies for the end zone touchdown. Latavius Murray over 100 yards on the day. His first score of the day. And it's 16-9 Broncos with the extra point coming. Four receivers, two right, two left. Shotgun for McSorley, third and eight on the Arizona 27. Snap McSorley, five steps straight, drop, still backpedaling, fires an interception on the far side, right to Simmons, running it back to the 20, to the 15, and down to the 10-yard line. Rippin under center, takes, play action, waits, throws right side, wide open, is Tomlinson for the touchdown, the tight end sneaking out, and nobody covering him. And it's 23-9, 20 unanswered points by Denver, and still an extra point. Two receivers right snap to McSorley, hands it off, and into the end zone is Connor for the touchdown. Okay, 6-0-1 to go, 24-15. Do you go for the two first so you know what you're facing in terms of possessions? It looks like that's what the Cardinals are going to do here. Cardinals going for two, empty set, shotgun snap McSorley, looking to throw, fade, left side of the end zone, incomplete. Will they throw a flag? They will not. DeAndre Hopkins, the intended receiver, and Kareem Jackson was all over him. McSorley back to pass. Lobs it deep left side, intercepted at the 30-yard line by Sertan. He takes a seat at the 37. The Cardinals are going to lose their 10th game of the season. A year after winning double-digit games. Yeah, you know, this maybe is the detail that doesn't matter and all that that just happened, Wolf. 
How was that not pass interference on DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah. That was the most yeah. textbook. That was pass interference three different times on DeAndre Hopkins on that play. Wouldn't have mattered. Cardinals, it's not like they scored again. Had they lost sure. by two points, you know, and it's not like they're missing the playoffs because they lose by two. I get all that. But, man, DeAndre Hopkins had something to say to the officials for like 10 minutes after that. He was still showing them his helmet and all these different moves that were happening. Yeah, it was so weird because uh, the defender, of course, was turning around. He was looking, and then he saw the ball thrown. And that's when he turned and looked at D-Hop yeah. and then put his hands up. I mean, you know, again, if you're turning around looking for the ball and yet you're banging with the receiver, most of the time the Zebras aren't going to call that pass interference. Which I'm They're cool with. Get, which Generally, I, totally, I hate pass interference. Absolutely. But when you looked at, oh, the ball is thrown, now you look at him, yeah. turn your back to the ball, you're not even trying to make a play on the ball. That felt... You're trying to make a play on D-Hop, yeah. I, I, it, it felt I like a, it was it was it was the the coup de gras, as we like to say, right? Do we like to say that? Well, not really, but the killing blow. It, it felt like it was it, one of those plays where you're like, okay, fine, I'll just take the penalty. I'm not letting DeAndre Hopkins catch this. What is it going to be half the distance of the goal? We're going to try this again. I'll take the penalty. Let's do it over. And the officials were like, yeah, it looked good. <laughs> it's, yeah, why not? Uh, the game in general. <laughs> What was it? It was six to three at halftime. I said this when we were on with Bickley and Murata. I, I felt like the Cardinals were going to win this game, not because the Cardinals were playing amazing football. Denver's been awful this year, and JJ Watt playing as well as he was, I thought would be enough to win like a seventeen thirteen game. Uh, ultimately, it didn't happen because Denver found the running game in the second half. You know, for me, that's the first note that I wrote down when all the dust settled. I actually wrote down the line of scrimmage, settled this game, and decided this game. And it's true. It did. Um, Denver was able to run the ball. In particular, they were doing it between the tackles until that third quarter where they went ahead and started attacking the edges. Did a great job attacking. A lot of toss crack. A lot of wide receivers cracking and getting outside. Um, They had a great game plan in terms of running the ball and they executed they went out and did it 168 yards rushing for the Denver Broncos and the Cardinals had what 73 yards that was the difference in this game I really thought we were going to see that I thought this game would be ultimately decided by the line of scrimmage and who was able to run the ball a little bit better I thought maybe the Cardinals would come out and try to assert themselves a little bit more Uh, in that first quarter on the ground, and that really was not the case. They threw the ball more than they actually tried to run the ball, and uh, I did not expect to see that. Yeah, they didn't run a whole lot. They they finished with 20 rushing attempts for the game. Denver had 34, and some of that you can say, okay, well, Denver had the lead in the second half. Not really until the fourth quarter was it ever a situation where, okay, we can't run anymore, we have to throw with who at that point was Trace McSorley. Denver has a really good defense. And we detailed this last week. Denver has one of the best defenses in the NFL. It doesn't matter. <laughs> At this point, the Cardinals offensively, as you said last segment, that was supposed to be the calling card for this team. Now, the the lineup you're running out there yesterday is so riddled with injuries, and so is Denver's, by the way, yeah. that 
everybody expected a low-scoring football game, and that's yes. basically what we had until Latavius Murray kind of took over for a little bit. Yeah, it really was. Um, it was a 9-3 game, and it was so odd because Colt McCoy was not playing very well. He you know, A lot of um, errant throws. Yeah, it was concerning on, like a, on a next-year type level. Not really a lot of accuracy, and I think Colt would be the first one to tell you that. Now, I don't know if there was some type of miscommunication that was going on between he and his receivers. I have no idea, but Colt does. I just know that he wasn't very accurate, and yet the Cardinals had a 9-3 lead until he went out of the game. All right, text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Enough of this. When we come back, was Devin Booker's monster performance on Saturday night exactly what this Suns team needs this season? Not just for Saturday, but beyond. That's next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wham, bam, slam. Whoa, wow. Suns Day brought to you by Coco 5. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, let's get into some basketball, Wolf. And then also at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk a little ASU football with their head coach, Kenny Dillingham. He will join us in about a half hour. So get the party started All right, on great. this Monday morning. Yeah, let's get to talk to Kenny. That's going to be fun. Uh, Devin Booker on Saturday night. Yeah, just putting up 58 on New Orleans, a team that, you know my feelings on the Pelicans. I think a lot of people have these feelings, certainly at this point, that they're not just a, a thorn in the Suns' side, but they're a legit contender out of the West, and they won't see the Pelicans again now until the playoffs, potentially. That was your last chance to kind of show what you could do against this team. Suns beat them back earlier in the season. There was no Zion. Look, even on Saturday, there was no DeAndre Ayton nor Brandon Ingram, but there was Devin Booker, and despite being down by 24, he puts up 58. They come back and beat the Pelicans, and that's the sort of game, Wolf, that can change the trajectory of your season. <laughs> There's no doubt about it, man. That was awesome to see that. Can I just tell you right now, personal story based on Orleans actually went out, and there it is. It's Paul Calvisi. Paul Calvisi, of course, happens to be there, and another guy, was Vic Lombardi. Oh, okay. Do you remember? He was eating a salad. Do you remember <laughs> Vic Lombardi? Do you remember that? Yes. Vic Lombardi. There's a lot of guys listening right now that will remember the name Vic Lombardi. He is actually up working for the Denver Nuggets for Altitude, as a matter of fact, Altitude uh, Broadcasting up there in Denver. Okay, this is what he does. And anyways, uh, Paul and Vic used to do a show together. So we, hey, let's go out to, to the Yard House. So we're sitting at the Yard House. And all of a sudden, uh, Lombardi looks up and goes, oh, man, the Suns are losing badly. And I looked up and turned around, and there it was. They were down 24 points. <laughs> Great. To the Pelicans. <laughs> 24 points. And it was like, okay, that's it. I'm not looking at that again. <laughs> Can I'm you turn not this looking TV at off, that please? television again. And it was, it was so funny to actually see the Suns came back in that game. I didn't get a chance to watch it, obviously. I was too busy at the yard house. <laughs> too busy, too busy looking away from the TV intentionally. Looking away from that. <laughs> and they were down 24 points. And the fact they came back and Devin Booker in particular had the third quarter that he did it was truly stunning it is one out of 82 games i get it but it felt like think about it this way if they had lost that game by 24 
And now, what is that? That's six of eight losses at that point. If you lose that one, it's uh, it's even more. I think it's, yeah, whatever it is. It's like seven out of ten if you lose that game. Uh, you've lost three of those to New Orleans in the span of like a week and a half. You get blown out by the Pelicans. Like the, the, the vibe around this team would be, okay, even if something's not like critically wrong, how are they ever going to beat New Orleans in a seven-game series? Yeah. But coming back and winning it, and again, I get it's just one win. You split the season series with them. It's because it's Booker, right? It's not, it's not, I don't know, it's not some player off the bench got hot and somehow put up 30 and, you know, maybe the Pelicans let up or this. And the Booker putting up 58, he can put up 50. I know this because he just did it two weeks earlier yeah. against the Bulls. Um, I don't know. When, when, you, when you see Booker specifically lead the charge, you think you don't want to be down 24, but if you are in a big game, you do have this guy who can just go off. Not every team has that. This is what you want, man, from your superstar, and that's exactly what Devin Booker is. He is a superstar. You want your superstar to be the guy that is right in the middle of bringing you back, not scoring 58. That's fantastic, man. That is great. Boy, that is, can you imagine? 58 points right there. Uh, Devin Booker has scored more in a loss, has he not? <laughs> I mean, think about it. This is a guy that, to me, you got to have your best player, your superstar, right in the middle of that comeback. That's the best thing that happened. It's not the fact that he hit the 58. It really isn't to me. It's that he was right in the middle of you coming back against a team you need to beat. The Pelicans. Can you imagine if they would have lost that game once again? And now all of a sudden you're 1-3 against the Pelicans this season. And the last three times you played them, you got your butt handed to you. And they haven't had Ingram. Think about And they haven't had Brandon Ingram. Think about that right now. They, you, you meet that team in the postseason, are they going to be in your head? Maybe just a little bit. I don't care yeah. how tough you are. Well, and the Suns, I mean, they didn't have Booker for, what, two of those, one of those, two of those. But uh, but still, it, we haven't seen these two teams meet at full strength. We really haven't because, you know, New Orleans doesn't have Zion for a game. Or then the Suns don't have Booker for a couple. They don't have Aiton. The Pelicans don't have Ingram. But the point is... You had Booker, they had Zion, and Booker was able to drag you back and get a win. And you're 100% right. If they lost that game, it's like, okay, you don't see him again until the playoffs. How are you going into the playoffs when you see New Orleans over there? Even if you're like, big deal, that was back in November and December, it doesn't matter. New Orleans is like, oh, yeah, we got these guys' number. And you know what the best part about it was is just listening to D-Book after the game, listening to him talk about the game. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he said, uh, this is after the game on Saturday, Booker, that it was important to set the tone against New Orleans. I mean, it was important. You know, we dropped two games to those guys just last week, and now the series is 2-2 for the season. And, you know, a potential matchup in the playoffs, and we understand that. So just want to come out and set the tone. I think Speaking it's of setting the tone, just listen to him. Maybe he's the tone setter. This guy, this oh, there's no doubt about it, first of all. Right? Well, I, there, DA me, sets the tone sometimes, just look, not always in a good way. No, no, exactly. I, I think DA, of course, when it comes to the physicality question and the aggressiveness, I think, yeah, he is a tone setter for them. I think his teammates do respond to a very physical and aggressive DeAndre Ayton. I think they do respond you can to that. See, you can see the body language of his teammates. But when you're talking about the soul, the beating heart, if you will, of this team, man, it it is Devin Booker. And you listen to him talk right there, so matter of fact, 
right? So matter of fact, he's not embellishing anything. He's just stating fact. This is, he's not getting too high. He's not uh, too low. He's just matter of fact. You got a superstar that is matter of fact about everything. And this is something that we have noticed with D-Book over and over and over again. We've heard a lot of cuts. You've played an awful lot of cuts from Devin Booker. And so much of the time, this is a guy that is just matter of fact. And I love that when you talk about a superstar. Well, and you have to... It's just prevailing wisdom around the league is always you have to have one of the five, six, seven, eight best players in the NBA typically to win a title. And this is why I keep bringing up this topic of he should be an MVP consideration. It's it's not that he needs to win MVP, but you need to have a guy in that range. He's in that range. It's funny. The pushback is always, well, you know, it's uh, why well, they lost to Luka last year, so he can't possibly win MVP this year. Okay, well then, so I'm pretty sure guys that have lost in the playoffs have won MVP the next year. Otherwise, Luka's never going to win an MVP, right? Because he just got smoked the round after the Suns last year. That's not how it works. Yeah. What, what matters is, are you in that range? The Suns have a guy in that range. If you go look around some of these other teams, some of these other contenders don't have a guy in that range. And unless you have like three guys just outside that range, you're probably not winning in late May or June. The Suns have one of those guys. doesn't guarantee anything, but it at least keeps you in that conversation because at any time, Devin Booker can drop 50 on you if he needs to. Yeah, and so much of the time, I love the fact, too, that Devin Booker is a two-way player. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Vic Lombardi, who sided with Paul Calvisi, talking about, you know what, I'm taking Luka Doncic. That's who I'm taking for MVP. I'm going to take Luka Doncic to start a team. Sided with Paul Calvisi. I said, you're crazy. Me and Lorenzo Alexander think you're nuts, Vic. And so are you, Polly. We have a clip that we found on Friday. Of, what is it? Do you know the clip where, where Zell's just saying, Paul, you're dumb. I think that's, that's going to be the part of every intro for Paul Calvisi when he comes on the show now. Uh, the 2022 college football playoff semifinals coming to State Farm Stadium December 31st features number two Michigan and number three TCU as they score out for the first time ever in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. Head to the contest page now on ArizonaSports.com for your chance to win a pair of tickets. We come back. Uh, is Kyler Murray going to be ready for week one? of the 2023 season. Some people are saying yes, and other people are saying no. We'll give you the latest next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, Paul, you're dumb. Big Red Monday and Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports. Presented by Sanderson Ford. The best play is at Sanderson Ford. All right, welcome back to the show. We're out here at the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center. It is Wolf and Luke here on this Big Red Monday. And uh, also because it is Suns Day and we're just talking Suns, I should throw out there Devin Booker listed as questionable for tonight's game against the Lakers. So this is this is the NBA in 2022, right? Booker, yeah. Booker and DA are questionable and Anthony Davis is already out for that one. Whatever. Okay, so Pat Bev is in, is he not? Yes, of course he is. Pat Bev will be playing tonight. That'll be interesting. I forgot about that. I did forget <laughs> I'm just about saying, that. Right now, come on. <laughs> now, now I really want DA to play in that you're, game. You're like, okay, why exactly might that? Be? Well, to me, that that solidifies the fact he's not going to be playing. Of course, and Devin Booker is not going to be playing either. Mm. In my opinion. Mm. Interesting. Uh, back over to football, there were conflicting reports on Kyler Murray. So 
when you and I were doing crosstalk with Bickley and Murata this morning, kind of both hit the same conclusion of there's a lot of there's so much uncertainty at the very top with the Cardinals when you talk about you know who's going to be the GM next year, uh, who's going to be the coach next year. Is it going to be Cliff? Is it going to be somebody else? Is Kyler Murray going to be ready for the start of next year? Anything else we talk about other than maybe who you take with a high draft pick is kind of up in the air. It just yeah. it's like it's like a like a math equation where you just have variables. You have no whatever the other thing is called. <laughs> like you have no actual solid number to work with. You just have variables, so you can't solve it yet. And the Kyler Murray reports from yesterday before the games, you had Adam Schefter tweet out, Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray projected to be able to recover from his torn ACL in six to eight months, putting him on track to be ready for the start of the 2023 season per sources. Okay, yes. So that was Schefter. But then you also had Ian Rappaport before the games yesterday, and this is what he said on NFL Game Day. Kyler Murray is out for the season with a torn ACL. My understanding is a clean ACL tear, no other ligaments involved, but he does have associated meniscus damage. He's going to prehab for about two to three weeks, then have surgery, probably around New Year's. Faces a nine-month recovery, which means there is a chance, I would say a real chance, that Kyler Murray is not ready for the 2023 season. So that's two of the bigger names that report news in football directly conflicting each other before the games yesterday. Yeah, you know, once again, um, I don't know exactly what it is, Ron Wolfley reporting here, <laughs> that I don't know exactly. <laughs> Wait, does that qualify as reporting? You need to understand. Yes, it does. Yes, it absolutely. <laughs> reporting that you're not nobody, reporting? Nobody has informed me what's going on with Kyler Murray's knee, and, and I am not qualified, Luke. I don't know about you, but I am not qualified to look at an x-ray and actually decipher anything. Oh, that would be terrible. Exactly right. So I have no idea what to say on this, but I will tell you this, Basin audience, right now that typically I give out nine months, a nine month window right there for an ACL. Now, a lot of times there's guys that come back in eight months. A lot of times there's guys who come back in 10 months. See, so much of it has got to do with the rehab and how quickly the knee rehabs itself, Um, how quickly you are as a healer. I think we all understand the fact that there are some people that heal quickly and there are some people that do not. Which one are you? Figure it out, right? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Exactly right. So I don't know. I don't feel comfortable putting any number on it. But the general number that I think I do feel comfortable throwing out is nine months. Well, I I tell you, looking, hearing those two reports from two very credible, you know, reporters around the National Football League and Adam Schefter and and Ian Rappaport, to hear them so far off for Rappaport to be like, yeah, there's a very real possibility he misses the start of next season, which is what? It's like nine and a half months from right now. And Schefter's tweet saying six to eight months. Like, I don't think Kyler Murray's going to be back in six months. Now, you're right. I'm not qualified to read the x-ray. I'd be holding it upside down, and it wouldn't even be the right x-ray. But six six months, that's really aggressive with an ACL tear. What that kind of just drove home to me yesterday is... um Nobody knows on December 19th. Nobody. It's not, this isn't something where, well, it's kept secret from most of us, but a couple people with sources know. They, they haven't even done the operation on his knee yet. Nobody knows. Yes. And so you have to prepare like he's not going to be ready for the start of next season. So, and if he is, that's great. Yeah, exactly right. And this is the reason why I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens this offseason. Colt McCoy, of course, is going to be your backup quarterback going into next season. I don't think there's any doubt of that. That's just me. I could be wrong on that as well. But 
that he's signed. He's under contract for next season. I don't think he's going anywhere. The mentor that he is, of course, to Kyla Murray, the way that he's been able to play for the most part. Now, yesterday, granted, wasn't great watching Colt McCoy play. He was inaccurate. Yesterday was concerning if you're looking at it through the scope of what if this guy has to start next season. But if you're telling me, do you want Colt McCoy back as the backup? Yes. 100%. I don't even, no have, to doubt think. About I even it. have to yep. think about it. Yeah, no, I want that. And, and not only that, too, not only the mentor that he is to Kyler Murray, but also just the leader that he is. The respect that he has got inside that locker room, that matters. That makes a huge difference. Whenever a backup quarterback steps into a huddle and the heads snap up because you're looking to see, are you okay, dude? Are you going to melt? Nobody's going to look at Colt McCoy and know or think that he's going to melt. Nobody's ever going to do that. And that means you might be okay. You're not going to melt because your quarterback's not going to melt. It's really important because there are a lot of guys that I've seen get in a huddle and melt because the backup quarterback was melting. I've seen that myself. Witnessed it. You're never going to get that situation with Colt McCoy because of his leadership and the way he is regarded and respected in that locker room. But do I think that they might actually bring another veteran quarterback in here? Yeah, I do. I think they will. Well, and that's when you talk about a backup quarterback stepping into the huddle and melting, I think about what you were saying a couple weeks ago about dabbling in amateur dentistry. That's that's the confidence level I would have. If, if your dentist is like, I've never done this before, but I really am interested. Whereas if your quarterback walks in, it's like, wow, it's loud in here, isn't it? That was Paul Revere. Well, think about that. It's Paul Revere, a history man. lesson on the show. You've got to be kidding me. That's the same confidence level I would have if I were in the huddle and the backup quarterback came in and was like, ah. What do we do? <laughs> uh, you you know, you raise a question there, though, that they're going to have to address uh, at some point this offseason of if Kyler isn't going to be ready for the start of next season, do you need to bring in a veteran starter for your first, whatever it is. We saw firsthand this year, and I don't think we needed this lesson, but we got it, how important the first six weeks are to be yeah. as close to full strength as possible. You know, if you think about it, Wolf, it was 2019 was Cliff's first year, right? Then if Patrick Peterson went out and got suspended, right? Okay, now the start of this year, you don't have DeAndre Hopkins for the start of the season. The start of next year, you're probably not going to have Kyler Murray for the start mm-hmm. of the season. It would be nice to start the season at full strength. I know. I know it's nobody's fault this time. Right. But you you have to you can't just say, well, we'll get through the first four weeks or whatever. No, that doesn't work. We just saw that it doesn't work. Boy, just think about that, what you just said right there. That's gonna be really, really close, man, because again, the my, the nine month thing, um there's a clean break with the ACL. That's a good that thing. A when good there's thing. a clean break. Hopefully, um Adam Schefter is correct. There is no meniscus. Hopefully hopefully Ian Rappaport is incorrect with the meniscus report. Because if, in fact, that is the case, I think... I think there's a re- there's good reason to believe that Kyler Murray could be healthy. He's young. He's young, right? And and hopefully there's reason to believe he could be ready for the start in September of the 2023 season. I, I think that is legitimate. I really do. If, in fact... He doesn't have the meniscus. Well, and it goes back to what you said of, of how how do you heal, right? I mean, Kyler Murray's young, so you figure, if anything, he may heal a little bit faster. But he is also a mobile quarterback. He's not Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson taking off on every play, but it's part of his game to be able to avoid sacks. And so does that push it back a little bit? 
not to when he can play, but to when he can play comfortably. There's just no way of knowing. I mean, that's the thing. There's no way of knowing on December 19th the answer to that. Once again, uh, for me right now, when I see Kyler Murray running in the future, you know what I want to see? I want to see him under center with a bootleg or a waggle. That's what I want to see. I want to see him actually doing that. Running out on the edge, getting the edge right there. Having the option, hey, he might actually tuck this thing and run, you know, not for 60 going down the sideline. Oh no, maybe just for six and a first down and moving the chains. Because once again, if in fact you have to depend on your quarterback running for you to move the ball, you're doomed. Yeah, that Justin Fields play yesterday was amazing. The one that ultimately got, I think he was rolled out at like the seven or something, uh, where he should have been sacked. He just took off for 50 yards. But if I were a Bears fan, I'd love it. He's the one of the most entertaining players in football right now, but I'd be nervous every time he takes hits. Uh, Alright, we come back over to some Sun Devil football. They are building something in Tempe, and their head coach, Kenny Dillingham, is going to join us to talk about it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.